Uh, if you're able, if you're able, we'll turn to Luke 10 and we'll stand for the reading of Luke 10. We stand to give honor to God and His Holy Word because He is holy and His Word is holy. Luke 10, starting at verse 25. Hear the word of the Lord. And a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to the inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. Let's pray. Our glorious God, we thank you for this, your holy word. Help us by the means of your word that we would grow in understanding how we should seek to keep your law. Also, we pray, help us to understand that we can never do this perfectly that we can only have salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord and through his holy gospel, even Jesus our Lord, who's kept all of your law perfectly and died for sinners such as us who have failed to do so. Help us in this, for we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. It is the nature of mankind... Let's just say this, sinful mankind. To twist or manipulate the law of God. And I believe this man here is an example of that. Might not be that evident, but he is an example of that. Giving you a little bit of a preview of what's to come to pass uh, shortly. But in in Luke 12, um, Jesus said this. He said, beware of the leaven, which means the doctrine and the life of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus doesn't 
like hypocrites. God doesn't like hypocrites. When we say one thing and we do another, when we talk about the scripture, yet we do things totally contrary to the scripture behind closed doors, you could say that we are in the same fashion of these Pharisees having that leaven of the Pharisees. Now, I'm going to make a case later on in this message that lawyers, scribes, and the, such men were the ones all the same. So whenever you read in your scripture, you read a scribe, a lawyer, or an expert of the law. It's all the same person. It's just different names for the same individual. And that's who Jesus is dealing with in today's text. The main focus of today's text is that Jesus taught us what the law requires, but he also taught us what we are required to do to be saved. We'll see this in two main points. The lawyer tested Jesus. Secondly, Christ's answer in parable. So Jesus answers him, but he also answers him in parable. So let's look at this first main point. The lawyer tested Jesus. The lawyer's first question proves that this supposed expert in the Pentateuch didn't have good intentions. We see in this passage he did not have good intentions. And the reason is, is that he stood up to test Jesus, to try Jesus, rather than doing what godly people did was to sit at the feet of Jesus, to learn of him, to hear his preaching. And it says uh, that in verse 25, that he came to test him. Um, In verse 25, look again, it says, "A, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, You might say, well, this guy's not a manipulator. He sounds pretty devout. He wants to have eternal life. But remember the caveat at the beginning. If it wasn't for this caveat at the beginning, you might say he sounds like a very holy, pious man. But we'll see a little bit more later. So earlier in in Luke 5, there's the mention of two people together as a team the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And you've also heard this over and over again, a pair that's together are scribes and Pharisees. The scribes and Pharisees approached Jesus. The scribes and Pharisees um, did such and such in the New Testament. They, they always paired together. Now, I was reading the, uh, it's the Oxford Companion to the Bible, and their take on this is that scribes were not only hired by Pharisees, but they were also hired by the chief priests. So in other words, they were like hiring experts on the law. They were the religious people, the Pharisees, but they hired these experts in the law. So whenever you read this, scribes, teachers of the law, lawyers, it's all really one and the same. Okay? Now, I know that we think of... uh, during the, like the monks, the scribes, what, almost their entire job is to just copy scripture. They just sit there and copy scripture before the printing press. The scribes copy, handwrite, 
you know, tomes and tomes and tomes of scripture. That's a scribe. But this is more. This is a, a, a law expert. Now, <clears throat> again, according to Mark 15.31, the chief priest also hired scribes or lawyers. This man, it's my belief that this man very likely was consulting with Pharisees, chief priests, or perhaps both before going to Jesus and asking him these questions because he was testing Jesus. You could say trying maybe perhaps to trip up Jesus. Jesus gave this lawyer a question in return. Look at verse 26. He asked the lawyer, What is written in the law? So the man says, What shall I do to have eternal life? Jesus answers, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? The law expert then quoted Deuteronomy 5, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 6, 5, and Leviticus 19, 18 in verse 27. Look back at, uh, look at verse 27. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So I believe that Jesus here knows the motives of this man. He knows, we find many cases in the New Testament where he knows the thoughts of people. He knows your thoughts too. God knows your thoughts. The triune God knows what's going on in your minds. So Jesus knew the thoughts of people in multiple times in the New Testament. In this case, I believe that Jesus knew that this man had bad intentions and he, he had a false religion of self-righteousness. He knew these bad motives a man had. And instead of answering him, he did give him a true statement. He didn't answer him saying, believe on me and you shall be saved. But he said something that was absolutely true from Scripture when he said this. He was, he was doing this when he said, Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. Why did Jesus say that? Look back a little bit. Look back at 8, chapter 8, verse 9. The reason Jesus told this man this is the same reason mentioned in Luke 8, 9 and following. His disciples began questioning him. This is immediately after the parable of the soils, the introduction to the parable of the soils. His disciples began questioning him, that is Jesus, to uh, what this parable meant. And he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. That's why Jesus answered him in this fashion, saying, do this and you will live. By the way, listen to this commandment again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your might and your mind and your neighbor as yourself. 
You know what that requires? Perfect, personal, perpetual obedience. Which of you have done that? Which of you have done that? The only person who could have done that before he fell into sin and brought us and his, all of his posterity, man, all mankind, into sin was Adam. Adam could have done this, but he didn't. He failed. The only person who has perfectly done this is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is the only one who perfectly, personally, and perpetually throughout all of his life loved the Lord, his God, the Father, with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loved his neighbors as himself. Jesus is the only one. Thank God that God has given him as our second representative, our second Adam, wherein the first failed. So here, Jesus knew that this was impossible for the man, but he was speaking absolute truth to the man when he said this. But if this lawyer really had good intentions and really sought after holiness and really was seeking after eternal life, he would have said, like that, that tax collector in the parable of the tax collector and, and the, uh, the Pharisees in the temple, God have mercy on me, the sinner. Or like Peter, when, when Peter first, G, first met Jesus, he said, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Why, you wanna, why should I be even near you? Depart from me. I'm, I'm such a sinful man. That's a person seeking after holiness rather than this man. Now, here's the second clue, the second clue that this man didn't have good intentions. This is evident from when Luke told us that he was wishing to justify himself. Verse 29, he was wishing to justify himself when he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, according to Dr. William Hendrickson, he said this, there were those, there were those Jews who perverted the command of Leviticus 19, 18 into meaning this, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. In other words, they added to Scripture. In other words, the only good neighbor, the only true neighbor was an Israelite. The lawyers and the Pharisees, they would have looked at Romans as being pagan oppressors. It was just to hate them. They would have looked at the... Um, they would have looked at others in the area. They would have looked at the Samaritans as pagans as well. You could hate them because they've corrupted our holy religion. They would have looked up at others with hatred and despise because they would call them goyim. And they would do it in a derogatory way. Um, they actually treated others as subhuman. I read one historical work that mentioned that if you had a Gentile who was milking a cow, you could not drink the milk from a cow that was milked by a Gentile because the Gentile made that cow unclean because he was unclean. So we see how that this lawyer tested Jesus and that 
they narrowly interpreted the word neighbor in such a fashion where it really made it easy for them. They could hate and they could mistreat, they could steal, they could do all kind of evil wickedness to others that were considered not a neighbor. And maybe this particular man himself was guilty of those sort of acts. Now to correct this man, Jesus then gives this man a parable. Look at Christ's answer in a parable. Verses 30 through 35. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Some say because he's going in this route that he could have been a Jew, but it's not infallibly saying it was a Jew. But there was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds and poured oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. So the two men who passed by who left him half dead were a priest and a Levite. Because of their title, we can assume they were Jews. Now, we're not given an explanation of why they passed by. Maybe they were busy. Maybe they were in a hurry. I think the most likely reason is that they were maybe fearful that maybe others were standing in hiding or hiding ready to, to pounce on them as well. Um, or maybe they were just hoping that someone else would come along and help the guy. Whatever reason, the religious, the priest and the Levite who knew God's word passed him by. There's a similar situation, um, a notorious situation that happened uh, in 1964 in New York. Uh, there was a very crowded neighborhood in Queens, New York. A 28-year-old woman worked at a bar. She was getting off late. She probably got off at 2-something in the morning and was getting home, just pulled up at her house at 3.15. And a man followed her in another vehicle until she got to her house. And as she got out of her car, he chased her down and stabbed her in the back. She screamed, help me, he stabbed me. And no one came out of the house to help that lady. And this went on for some time. One guy, the report says, stuck his head out the window and said, let stop messing with that girl or, or something like that. Stop, stop messing with that girl, that woman. But no one went outside the house in that very crowded neighborhood. Now, some exaggerate the number of witnesses. One of the exaggerated number was like 30-something witnesses. But it's, if you look at it, you can actually see, you can see a picture of the neighborhood. There had to be many, many witnesses. Now, not everybody probably heard. They heard a woman yelling. They probably didn't hear the words, he stabbed me. But no one came out of the house. Maybe they were thinking someone else would come out of their house 
would go out of their house and help this poor lady. Now, uh, some call this, uh, in a psychological term, a bystander effect. Uh, there, you can, there are others who will help, so I'm not going to help. And usually, the more people that you think will help, the more likely you won't help. Anyway, but it could be the same sort of situation. So in Christ's parable, though, the only man who stops by to help this half-dead, poor man was a Samaritan. Not the priest, not the Levite. Now again, because Samaritans were people who mixed the Hebrew religion with pagan religion and corrupted it, they were considered themselves pagan, and they were worthy of being hated by the Jews, according to the many Jewish people. You could hate a Samaritan. They would have never considered the Samaritan as a neighbor. At least most of them wouldn't. But the Samaritan was the one who helped this man because he was moved with compassion for the injured man. Then Jesus asked this lawyer one last question. Look at verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? Now, logically, there could really only be one answer, couldn't they? Couldn't there be, right? The lawyer answered correctly, and he said this in verse 37a. He said, the one who showed mercy to him. Jesus taught here that to be a neighbor, it's not defined by the other person's ethnic or religious background. They could even be a Muslim. They could be a Hindu. But if they are in need, and not just living next to you, but if they are in some sort of need, you can help them. And not only you could help them, you should seek to help them. Now, the word here for neighbor, in the Greek, it's literally translated someone nearby. So a neighbor is someone nearby, like someone living nearby. But I think we should understand it more broadly according to this text, your fellow mankind. Another son of Adam, another human being, should be treated in a kind and neighborly fashion. When you think about it, when you're walking down the road and someone's in need, aren't they nearby you? <laughs> right? Nah, I'd say they're, they're nearby. Uh, Hendrickson pointed out, Dr. Hendrickson pointed out, he said, the question is not, who is my neighbor? But am I being a neighbor to those needy ones whom the Lord places in my path? Am I being a neighbor? Am I being kind? Am I being loving? Am I being merciful to those whom God places in my path? In verse 37, Jesus tells the man, he says, go and do the same. Because he answered that a neighbor is one who shows mercy. So Jesus says, go and do the same. Jesus here wasn't saying, if you go and love your neighbors and you show mercy to others in need, you will earn eternal life. He's not saying that. 
we let Scripture, again, interpret Scripture. Galatians 2.16 says, Man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Everything that Jesus told this lawyer who was seeking to justify himself, who was seeking to test him, everything that Jesus told this lawyer was absolute truth. But I believe it was in, in accordance with Isaiah 6, verse 9. It was to fulfill Isaiah 6, verse 9. So that such a law expert would keep on listening, but not understand, keep on looking, but not gain knowledge. Brothers and sisters, again, this lawyer came to test Jesus. He also came to justify himself. In God's sight, don't seek to justify yourself. Confess your sin. Confess that you are a sinner in God's sight, needing his mercy, needing the blood of Jesus to wash you clean. It's only by the perfect blood of Christ and the perfect obedience of Christ that you have any hope of heaven. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died for sinners such as us. He obeyed the law perfectly so that he would be the perfect, holy, pure sacrifice so that you would be forgiven not just some of your sin, but all of your sin, past, present, and future, and that he accounts, God accounts the righteousness of his son, the obedience of his son as your righteousness on that great day of judgment. Again, Christ answers here in this text in a parable. And when he answers in a parable, he teaches us what it really means to love a neighbor. It's to have compassion upon a person in need, no matter what their ethnic background, no matter what their religious background, anyone in need should be considered as your neighbor, even if they are totally outside the covenant community and outside your family. Brothers and sisters, let's ask God's grace. Ask God for his grace that he would give us faithfulness to embrace his gospel, but also that fruit of being one who bears forth much fruit and loving our fellow mankind as ourselves, even loving others who are not like us and even don't believe like us. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we pray that you would forgive us of our many sins, forgive us of the ways that we have not loved others as ourselves. Help us, we pray, to love our neighbors, even those who don't look like us, even those who are of different ethnic or religious backgrounds. Help us to be compassionate and kind to others and help us to love one another. And we pray that especially those of us who are of the household of faith, help us to love one another so that others would see that we are truly your disciples. We pray that you would help us to embrace and believe your holy gospel, which is given unto us. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.